0: Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Joachim. Guest hosting with me today while Frenchie is away on vacation. Uh, Matt from Missed Apex F1 Podcast. Welcome back, my friend, and how's everything been?
1: Uh, it's been pretty good, actually. It's been hopping. There's <laughs> been no shortage of F1 drama to be talked about. Let me tell you.
0: Yeah, you just when I thought that you know, driving to the racetrack on, on Sunday morning. So I was in Wisconsin for Road America. I'm going to be getting a race in my car. You know, not too much happens. By the time in the 20-minute ride from my Airbnb to the racetrack, we had signs retiring with his hydraulic issue. By the time I got from my car or from the entrance to the track into the media center, we had Leclerc retiring as well. So, it wasn't really too chaotic for that, unless you're a fan of Ferrari engines when, you know, we had, what, four of the six Ferraris retire this weekend?
1: Yep, four of the six.
0: Did did we, first, I have been a little bit out of the loop, haven't been paying attention to the F1 news this week until today. Did they ever say why Zhou and whoever it's the other, Magnuson. Magnuson, had to retire?
1: uh no they were power unit issues as well I'm pretty sure yeah what what we're learning about the Ferrari engine is that it's got more power, but that at higher miles it becomes unreliable and then when you beat it to death along <laughs> a pavement at three hundred thirty kilometers an hour, <laughs> it turns out it doesn't last as long
0: no, was it i i feel like you in the in the double retirement this weekend it was it was back in It was one of the earlier races this year. I remember, again, I was at another IndyCar track. It might have been in March. And Christian Horner saying, I'd rather be fast than reliable. Well, now it looks like, I think it was Christian Horner. Now, Red Bull is looking more reliable and Ferrari is not. So it's kind of interesting how the engines have almost changed reliability rankings in the last two or three months.
1: Yeah, well, uh, Ferrari had the distinct advantage at the beginning, but as Red Bull's lost weight, uh, they've, they've been pushing Ferrari, and I do believe that Ferrari has increased the output of their engine yeah. um, before the, um, when they homologated, because there's two sets of homologations this year. One is for the internal combustion engine parts, and the other is for the energy recovery system parts. And the internal combustion engine parts, they went ahead and upped the power delivery some. Right. Uh, whether that's which side of the system's from, they didn't say, but they put out more power, saying it was reliable, but apparently not reliable enough <laughs> at high miles. So it, we're in an interesting phase now because uh, you are allowed to make changes for reliability purposes. Yeah. But so far, the FIA hasn't let Ferrari do that. So Leclerc will be starting with a third power unit and a fourth turbocharger, which means a 10-spot grid penalty if uh, Twitter is to be trusted with the early information from the pit lane.
0: You're trusting Twitter. That's that's a dangerous game.
1: Yeah, well, some people are more trustworthy than others. I've yeah, seen it yeah. reported by, by people who are actual journalists, okay. but it's not been confirmed yet yeah. by, the, uh, by the documents right. from the race control.
0: Fair enough. So, you know, kind of looking at Baku, I think the one that, I guess the storyline that I kind of took away from this was between Monaco and their terrible strategy and a double retirement this weekend in, or last weekend in Baku, Ferrari's now on the back foot, both in the constructors champion and the drivers championship. Are they, Are is it, Almost getting to the point where they need to start scoring win after win, like on a, on a multi multiple weekend basis, to stand a chance in this. Or are they, are, to me, it feels like they're in big trouble already.
1: Well, uh, if you do the math of it, uh, I think um, Verstappen right now is thirty six points ahead yeah. of Leclerc. Um, and if you assume Verstappen finishes second in every race. And he gets fast lap. That's a six-point differential if Leclerc wins. And at 36 points, it means he's got to win six races just to tie. And we're coming up to race nine out of 22 right now. So, so yeah. Yeah, I'd say they are very much up against it. And the fact that he's on his third power unit and there's going to be another homologation later on in the season means that he's going to get Leclerc another penalty. So, of the of uh, the 13 races left, two of them Canada and some unnamed one in the future. At the very minimum, he's going to be taking a pretty big penalty for getting his new power unit. And that means he's got 11 races and yeah, you know, that that's 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 a lot of uh, that's a lot of ground to recover. And I, I don't know if they can do it. But on the other hand, all it takes is some back marker <laughs> turning right when they should have turned left, and suddenly you've got 25, 26 points back to the good. So it's it's not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination, but it looks very much like Ferrari is trying to cash in on their reputation of <laughs> thoroughly disappointing their fans after convincing them that this is the year.
0: I mean, I bought into the Ferrari hype hardcore in the beginning of the season, and I'm not like a Ferrari fan. I don't really have a favorite F1 team at this point, but... I did, in Monaco, bet on Leclerc to win and get the fastest lap. I thought, you know, I think this is a pretty safe place to do that. And that, well, I lost money on that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, Mon- Monaco, was, Monaco was, was difficult. I mean, it, kind of understandable in human terms. Right. But, um, but, but they, they really, they, they got it all the way wrong. In Monaco. And frankly, I I was so disappointed at the failure uh, because it was going to be an epic and titanic battle between the Red Bull and the Ferrari, I believe. And it was going to come down to tiny little engineering decisions and the absolute skill of the driver at the end of the day to see who was going to win it. And we were robbed of yep. that glorious contest. Yep especially after the first virtual safety car, when Leclerc got in and Perez did not, that that really gave Ferrari a, a very big strategy chance because it wound up putting both Red Bulls on the same strategy so that the card, they couldn't play alternate strategy card against Ferrari as they've often done when science has gone missing and it's been Leclerc versus Perez and Verstappen.
0: So before we kind of shift gears and, and talk Montreal, which, by the way, I don't know if you saw the pictures of the track today, but it rained so hard it looked like you were crossing a river trying to leave the paddock today, which is pretty wild. But, you know, kind of looking at it, a season as a whole, and you know, we kind of talked about last week with the stick to F one guys who's been good and who's been disappointing. But has there been any surprises on the car front? You know, now that we're seven or eight races into to these new chassis, that you didn't expect it at the start of the season.
1: Well, I mean, uh, so if, if we're going to talk surprises, I think the porpoising surprised everybody. And I think how long it's taken them to get on top of it, which they're not really entirely on top of, as we've seen with the um, massive new regulation bomb that's been dropped on this week's race. Um, that has surprised me, but I would say the biggest surprise to me really has been, um, Alfa Romeo, they have looked good forever, but they've turned up with some really, really decent performances. And um, yeah, if if they can get their tire issues sorted <laughs> out, then um, th- they have shown they can be quite competitive, more so than I would have bet on them being at the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, Botas is a good driver, but I didn't really know what to expect out of Zhou Guan Yu, and he's been I know he's had some bad luck, especially you know, this past weekend and, and a couple others where they've been, like, hey, you have, to, you have to try the car. But he's been more impressive than I expected for the most part.
1: I don't know if you saw it. um I, I know we talked about it on the show in Monaco coming down the hill out of the tunnel. He had this moment where the car got completely sideways. on, Yeah. And he caught it. And you were just like, Yeah.
2: You know, th- there might be, there might be, this
1: might be more than just another pay driver here. There might be some, there might be some real, real talent there, and he, he I mean, he was quite impressive, um, in Azerbaijan for sure. So, uh, and he's a rookie. I mean, he he is a real rookie. Yeah. He's not like a Mick Schumacher rookie. He's a real rookie. <laughs> this is his first season, so I think we can give him a little room to to grow at this point. He, he's he's shown promise, absolutely.
0: I I agree. So, speaking of Mick Schumacher, I I don't think we've talked enough about him lately, but kind of, like, he's shown—I don't know, this might have not been a great comparison, but I said he was kind of like George Russell a couple years ago, where he was showing pace on Saturday and then not so much on Sunday. But some of his Sunday issues this year have been self-inflicted. The Vettel contact in Miami— Crash in Monaco, to be honest, I missed, so I couldn't tell you if it was his fault or not because I was running around the racetrack. But it just looks like he's try- He's forcing it when he doesn't always need to force it. Is he... Are these rumors of we are evaluating McSchumacher. Schumacher, anything to worry about if you are a Schumacher fan?
1: I would be modestly concerned. Okay, yeah. I mean... If, if we take all, the, all reality aside, if we just look at a situation, last season was a total wash. I don't know, even know, aside from the fact that he got to drive the cars <laughs> on the tracks where they raced. If you could rate the Haas, it, it was barely a Formula One car. Yeah, And He had no effective comparison or teammate or anything last season. This season, you have a brand new car, and he's got Magnuson, who is a very talented driver and who had spent last season racing, even though not in Formula One. And I think he's really up against it for the first time. So I made the joke about a Schumacher rookie, but in a lot of ways, it really is his first real season in (laughs) Formula One because he's got real competition and a car that's potentially competitive. And the thing that we know about him from the Junior Series is that he never was one to show up and just win everything immediately? It was always year two. So are so we essentially saying is this
0: is like year one B, and next year, if he is still around, is year two?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's how that's how I would put it. If I was trying to be fair. You're to right. him. But this is also Formula One. That was, and I think what. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> so fairness only goes so far. He has value, his name has value, he will have value to teams as a driver with a Schumacher name. There's a lot of fans who are very invested in that. And let's not forget, Formula One is first and foremost, it's a business. Yep. However, and I've, I've been thinking about this, so I'm gonna try this out here. Let's do it. What a lot of people aren't coping with right now, or, or I don't think are taking into account, is the way in which the cost cap, which the teams have to operate under is going to affect personnel choices before if i'm a pay driver i can show with my 30 to 40 million dollars and and say i bring you this and the team be like okay well if i had a driver who could score points who was the best driver in the world how many more championship points would i get out of that and how much extra would that bring me in Oh, it's way less than this driver is bringing me, so this driver makes more financial sense right, to my team. But with a cost cap, that driver also has to be capable of not driving the car into walls on a regular basis. <laughs> That's an expensive habit, and it affects the development of the car across the whole season. Okay. So suddenly, yeah, yeah, your yeah. $30 million is great. But if I can only develop the car half the season because I have to spend it all on fixing your car, the saved money doesn't help me out because I can't spend it making my car go faster. So there's a new limit in place that's not been there before. And I think we might see some different personnel choices being made. And, and Schumacher is one that has cost Haas a lot of money. And unlike certain other teams...
2: Aston.
1: <laughs> um, they may not be willing to fund his uh, insurance until he gets to age 25 or whatever. <laughs> and the rates go down. If you know, yep.
0: What I mean. Fair enough. Fair enough. So on the, on the Aston Martin front, I, since, since, since you brought them up, Vettel is getting everything he can out of a God awful car. Lance Stroll exists and we'll just...
1: <laughs> it's his home Grand Prix. How can you be so mean to him? Okay, I understand <laughs> how you be, but that'd be that really... Is
0: this... So I, I know this is Latifi's first Canadian Grand Prix. Is this Stroll's first, or was he... Did he have a Williams one in
1: a I couple think, years I think ago? Had, I think he had at least yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, he's been around longer than people think.
0: I always forget that. Maybe that's because... Well, I don't need to make fun of him anymore. Maybe that's because he's done nothing all that relevant most of the time, but... If you are Lawrence Stroll and you're parading around the garage area screaming at everybody, are you really doing a good job attracting people? Because if you're you know, an engineer or somebody who can better that team and you have to deal with Lawrence Stroll, are you going, maybe I don't want to go there?
1: I, I don't know. Um, it, as they say, depends.
0: I mean, I know money talks.
1: Uh, I, Money talks, and because of the, again, because of the budget cap, spots, the big teams can't have 500 engineers anymore. <laughs> yeah. So people have to go places. I, I think people who work there on a day-to-day basis, are, I don't hear the complaints about it, but if I was in the garage like if that was the kind of management behavior I as a human being was subjected to on a regular basis, I I would be looking for, you know, I would be evaluating my options. I I would be looking for other places to be. It does not look like fun, his style of um, (laughs) yelling and screaming. You know, I'd I'd rather be at the Mercedes we're all a family here kind of style. And I think probably most people would. But the fact is that although his means may be questionable, I think that the Aston as a car, uh, at least in the hands of Vettel right now, is is looking a bit more capable than it was at the beginning of the season. And if they have bought themselves especially more room to play with the ride height to control the bouncing, then then you've got a car that can score points. That I mean, certainly they are the... They were at the absolute bottom of the points table with William, but they, they might be able to claw their way up a little bit further. Um, but Stroll's going to have to get his act together <laughs> as a driver, and they're going to have to be on it with setup. Strategy's always been good for them. So you know,
0: no, like for more, uh, no more Monaco tantrums like Stroll had. It's probably not a good idea. But do you think so? You know, Vettel missed the first two races of the year, and. Do you think so? You know, where he's he's done five or six races at the point of this year. Maybe it just took him a little bit to get used to the new car because he, you know, kind of came in on on short notice because of being sick early in the season, and now he now you're seeing what he can get out of the Aston Martin. Where the first couple races where he was nowhere to be found were probably not necessarily indicative of what he was capable of.
2: Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flojo. Phil Hughes. Justin You. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. pip F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.
1: A different car that didn't drive well, plus he missed testing in the first Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what we're starting to see is um, just maybe the talent difference between Stroll and Vettel. Stroll isn't, Stroll is an acceptable driver. Yeah,
0: he's no Mazepin.
1: He, he's he's done a good job. Yeah. He's had good results. But he's not, I don't think, on the level of Vettel. No. By any stretch of the imagination. And Vettel is not on the level of the Vettel we all remember in any event. Yep.
0: Yep. yep. <laughs> so
1: so you know, I mean, I, I think that's that's sort of a self inflicted points wound. If I'm if I'm Stroll senior, I'm I'm clearly kind of running the team so my kid has a decent car to race with. And it's hard to avoid that conclusion. On the other hand, he put the money together. He bought the team, and it's his team. So as long as his partners go along with it, he can do whatever he yeah. wants.
0: Yeah, it's hard to argue. As As much as we, we give him grief on this show from time to time, I get it. I don't yeah. blame Lawrence Stroll or Lance Stroll for being in that position. I get it. It's it's annoying, but you know, it's yeah. one of those, like, but. I accept it.
1: It's frustrating because there are plenty of people who were as talented, if not more talented, who did not get that amount of yeah. time to figure themselves out. They did not get that amount of help to figure themselves out. And so so as human beings, I think we're always sensitive to that disparity yeah. in treatment. And so so but Lance is not a bad person. And he's I guarantee you he's a better driver than me. <laughs> Same. <laughs> you know. so that that, that, that's that's fair enough
0: so the last thing i wanted to get to other than talking about montreal for for a few minutes is porpoising and the new directive that came out today to try and curb it a little bit so what did the directive say you know kind of in in your opinion what are you kind of taking away from it
1: Right, so this was um, um, an approach that that I think felt right to me in in a lot of ways because obviously if you just change the rules, as as was done for Red Bull in 2013 with the tires, when they rolled back the tire construction after the first six or eight races. And from there, um, Vettel went on to just Cruise to the championship because the tires that they brought in, the new tires, didn't work with Red Bull's aerodynamic construction at all. Um, And that just, that essentially gave the title to Red Bull, that decision, that one technical decision did. And it was done on the grounds of safety. But the FAA would prefer to avoid it. The problem you have, and the drivers have said it themselves, is that the engineers will always choose maximum performance. And as a driver, I always choose the fastest car. Yep. So someone needs to protect the drivers. And the issue here, and this is, so I'll break down the regulations real quick. What they're gonna do is they're gonna take some accelerometers that are in the safety data recorder. There's an external and internal one. They're going to look at the amount of vertical accelerations the uh, amplitude, the number of G's, and uh, frequency, and they're going to set um, they're going to set a limit. And if your car violates that limit, you have to run three laps, race pace, no DRS. If your car violates that limit, you have to make setup changes so that it doesn't. Either the spring rates, um, tire pressures, ride heights, right. whatever it is, your engineers have to work it out. And once you don't violate it anymore, then, then that setup is fixed. That's what you have to live with for the race. So I think that's a pretty fair way of saying it's the team's responsibility to protect the driver. The qualms that I have is they don't seem to have decided yet on a level whether it's going to be an average or a peak. Um, but I know being an American... There was a lot of controversy um, in the NFL about head injuries, yep. CTE, and that uh, my following of that story informed me that the main driver they felt of that was sub-concussive repetitive impacts, which if you've ever sat in a
0: Porpoising. go-kart, <laughs> yeah.
1: driven over some bumps, you can appreciate at, at you know 330 kilometers an hour, how rapidly those could add up to be a long-term health problem. So I'm my main concern is that they get the that they understand it's a cumulative thing from a, that they get the medicine of it right, the science of it right. right. They're moving in the right direction, um, but I feel like I would love to see them bring in someone who made a specialty of this to look at the data with them. And make a recommendation that will really protect the drivers. I, I think that's 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 kind of where I am.
0: Totally fair with me. I I have a hard time disagreeing. I was surprised it wasn't more definitive in their, you know, hey, you're right, I can't be more than this or has to be more than this or tire pressures have to be this. That's what I assume. But I guess something is better than nothing, at least to start before you know, maybe they can come back before the next race and then go, okay, based on what we saw. Now we're going to get more strict.
1: Yeah, well, they they're giving themselves room to negotiate this. For Canada, FP three is when the limit will be okay, set, yeah. and the test has to be run. Um, and I think they were very influenced by the um, by the Red Bull propaganda <laughs> campaign on TV yep. about not. About how all the other teams have figured it out. So, why should we all suffer? Because Mercedes got it wrong. But they're not, they weren't entirely wrong about that. Um, even though they themselves have benefited from exactly that in the past, they went crying about the tires and the tires got changed and then they won. So, that's a very Formula One thing to do. I don't blame Mercedes <laughs> for doing what they do. Yeah. I'm delighted it's not a prescriptive response, though. Okay. Because you could say, raise a ride height 10, 10 mil, that might not solve the problem. According to Mercedes, you know, the problem is, is more than just just the right. that there's they, they may have a suspension restraint that keeps them from solving. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a work in progress a bit with, 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 the, with the FIA. And again, hopefully with medical professionals, people who studied this issue to make sure the drivers are protected. And then I like the idea of saying, okay, the this is what this is what your driver can is allowed to have. You're allowed to engineer any solution to that you want that's within our current technical regulations. So I think that's entirely a better way to do it.
0: Fair enough. Can't argue. You have convinced me. So, you know, a couple minutes left here as we we bump up on a half hour, but Montreal is this weekend. First time in Montreal since 2019. One of these years I'm actually going to get to go there, but where does Montreal rank in terms of favorite F1 tracks for you and and, you you personally and maybe you watching as a covering it?
1: Um, It's not often a dull race. Yes. Um, it's It's actually one of the most popular races on TV, and certainly for the fans. Like, if anyone I've ever talked to who's ever gone to Montreal is pretty much like, dude, you gotta go. <laughs> the parties are legendary. Uh, the track is glorious. It's a beautiful time of year to be. Yeah. To be there. I actually had a friend whose daughter went to McGill, And uh, it's uh, it's an amazing town on its own. And then to be able to go and do a whole Formula One event there is as well would be fantastic i like the racing i like the track i think it won't be as bad for the porpoising as as um baku was just because the speeds won't be as high but also worth remembering that part of the problem too wasn't just the speeds it was also the bumpiness of the track and there there might still be some issues so i think it sort of remains to be seen there's some Good overtaking opportunities. The Wall of Champions never fails to entertain on at least one <laughs> or two occasions. Oh yeah. And um I you know, just looking at the weather, the the there's a ten degree drop between practices on Friday and uh Saturday. Ooh.
0: I like that. Yeah, I'm I have not been to the race there. Still trying to cover our first F one race in person, hopefully in Austin later this year, but Yeah, I love Montreal. I was there with my brother and a few friends a couple years ago, and it's a great city. It's one of the coolest places I've gotten to visit. So in terms of, I guess, you know, kind of up front this weekend, it's probably Ferrari versus Red Bull. Who's got the advantage this weekend?
1: Uh, Well, you have to go. Right. So if I'm talking aerodynamic platforms, I, I would say, based on what I saw in Baku, I might think that Ferrari has a bit of an advantage. Yeah. Certainly, Leclerc with a brand new power unit does. However, if he does take that new turbocharger, he's starting with a 10 grid spot penalty. And that means that you're going to have signs against the two Red Bulls. And I'm going to say that from a practical point of view, that's going to be team Red Bulls. Yeah. Got, got, got. It's looking up for them on this particular weekend. Um, I'll be interested to see how Mercedes does at this track. Um, there's some talk that they might allow a second um, guy wire mm-hmm. to help stiffen the floor up. If they do that, that could change how Mercedes runs, could change sort of their response to things. Um, who, else, who else is going to do here? Um, it be interesting to see if McLaren can have another decent weekend and, and Alpine, too. I'll be curious to see what happens when they move away from that super extreme slippery setup which they're going to need to Right. Um, uh, just on, on raceability terms it worked in Baku because that straight was so long but the straights in Canada aren't as long in fact, fun fact there are three DRS zones but only two detection points did you know that?
0: sounds vaguely familiar but I, I always get that confused with the way that Mexico has their DRS zone set up as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, the 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 entirety of the front straight from the hairpin all the way down to turn 1 is actually sort of one long DRS zone, but they have to shut it off for the Chicane. Right, right, right. Oh, right, cuz they have that champions. mini
0: straight then heading into yeah. the back of the track. Yep. I haven't we haven't yeah. been there in so long that I almost almost forgot what half the track is like
1: yeah well it's is I, I actually i i drove it a bit in i racing just to remember what it was like <laughs> um but but i had i had seen that in the um on the circuit map yeah and in the race director's notes that i was like oh that's right it's like one long zone yeah, there. Yeah. So yeah that that could be interesting and could lead to some tactical
0: some drs games
1: drs games <laughs> um headed into it but um uh, there's more than one line through the hairpin, and I think we'll get I think we'll get a good race out of
0: it. Yeah, I'm excited. I love again. I love Montreal. I'm excited for the weekend. I like that the race is not at 7 a.m. Or even for me last weekend, I was at 6 a.m. because I was in Central Time, which was very rough. I, yeah, that hurt. Uh, Those that, that was that was hard. I just set an alarm to wake up for the race for the first time in a while, which I'm not a fan of. But anyway, my friend, I appreciate the time and and your insight on everything. Guys, the race is in Montreal this weekend. Watch it. Enjoy it. I will be sitting on my couch watching it instead of at a racetrack for once, which I'm very excited about. And uh, everybody have a happy Father's Day weekend. And that's this weekend, right? I should probably yeah, know that. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. yeah. If my dad is listening, the gift is totally on the way already. And it really is. Picked it out weeks six. It, re- picked it, out it week really second. is on the way. We did have to reroute it because I forgot my parents were going to be not home but you know minor minor trouble has been i think averted anyway everybody enjoy the race this weekend matt thank you for joining matt is with missed f uh, missed apex podcast i'll put the website and social media link in the episode notes so everybody can check that out as well and have a good weekend man
1: great thanks you too no problem